0: what's up everybody this week's podcast guest is going to be matthew mixon formerly of the band seven angels seven plagues uh kind of an influential band from around here in the midwest area where i where i live um and sometimes it's very it's very interesting to kind of take a look back on some of the the past and wonder if these bands meant as much to people in our area because of us growing here growing up here in the midwest or if it was really as influential as a band as As we all think they actually are, Um, and kind of we discuss, you know, a band such as Refused, when they put out Shape of Punk to Come, it was kind of a flop. The band didn't really do shit. They broke up shortly after there, and in the ten, maybe fifteen years, I'm kind of blanking. I I know at least it was ten years uh, since that record had come out. You know, and the band's uh, lineage and and uh, legacy just grew due to them not being able to spoil it. And I kind of have wondered if, you know, that is the case with Seven Angels, Seven Plague, so it was kind of nice talking to Matt about that, and specifically more to the fact of us discussing the documentary that he was working on. Uh, Yesterday was everything. It's the documentary chronicling Misery Signal's 10-year anniversary tour of of Magnum of Malice and the Magnum Heart. It's really hard to say that when you have two ofs back-to-back. Um But of Malice and the Magnum Heart, uh, 10-year anniversary tour with the original lineup with Jesse back on vocals. Um, As you'll kind of hear in this episode, we talk a little bit about some of the stuff in the documentary. Again, it's not out, so... A lot of it's going to be foreign to everyone listening because they don't have the frame of reference of the movie itself uh, that we're we're discussing. But what you all as listeners of this will know is that obviously at this point the original lineup has gotten back together. Stu Ross, uh, who left and started or joined Comeback Kid, is back in the band as a guitar player. Uh, Jesse is back as the vocalist. Carl and uh, Greg, the guitar player and former vocalist, are, are gone. Um, we discuss a little bit of of that in this as it does kind of permeate into part of the documentary and at the time obviously of this being filmed, you know everything that's happened wasn't announced it, it wasn't you know hadn't come to fruition yet but uh, with it being now two two years three years later uh, since this documentary is filmed and everything kind of panning out the way it did um, it's kind of a little interesting to see the writing on the wall as to what ended up happening with this band and, and the reformation of the, the original band. So we discussed that, and I, and I really want to thank uh, Matt for being open and honest about some of that, because as he makes mention in this, there's there's kind of some shrapnel that some people get, and there's some sh- you know shit-talking kind of going on, and this band allowed him to showcase all these you know this whole journey and and the story warts and all and there's definitely some warts in there and i think it's definitely going to be a lot more honest than than people probably are expecting so without further ado here's my chat with matthew mixon people call me nixon okay Was it to say as someone who also has either a a john or a jonathan you know when people ask it's like it's whatever call me whatever i don't care um but i know some people are weird about their name so um you have been working on arguably i would say one of the more uh readily anticipated documentaries to come out uh as far as band documentaries with this uh misery signals documentary uh and I'm totally blanking on it because I keep flipping the name around. Uh, everything. Or yesterday was Everything? Yeah. Uh, so I guess before we get to the documentary, why don't you tell me a little bit about yourself, and, and we'll kind of go from there.
1: Um, yeah, I'm a, I used to play in hardcore bands years and years ago. Um, I'm a filmmaker now, full-time. Uh, I mostly work in documentary, but I'm branching out into some more scripted material um, I don't. I don't even know what else to tell. I used to be. Uh, well, I mean, my, my, my first big project is this documentary. Yesterday was everything that's coming out uh, in the next month or so. Um, I got a couple other big projects coming out this year. I don't know.
0: You had mentioned you were in a in hardcore bands. I think most notably, everyone would say or know you from uh, Seven Angels, Seven Plagues. Uh, yeah. especially most of the people uh, around my area being in the Midwest uh, with you guys being from the Milwaukee area um, sometimes in some of the podcasts you have done you kind of had said that you know you were only in the band for a year and felt that the band got bigger as as the band was already done um, with something I've been thinking of as you've said that and living here in the Midwest I've wondered how much of the, the lure of that band uh grows longer because of me living here in the midwest and us remembering the the strong midwest scene we had back then with you know seven angels and even like arm angelus out, out of chicago and you know some of the bands like that that were around this specific area um but did you find that the kind of the legend of that band has has actually made it past even you know just here in the midwest that it carries strongly like ties out to the, like the west coast or even further
1: oh yeah yeah, big time. In fact, like uh, that whole scene, like the Midwest metal metalcore thing, is uh, I, I never realized how uh, much of like a, a niche um, sort of subgenre it was. Because I meet, I mean, I, I've heard more about it in recent years than I ever did at the time. Um, people always ask me about. Uh, I can't even think of a lot of the, the names of the bands, but a bunch of like the you know Michigan, Minnesota. Milwaukee, Chicago bands that we kind of got lumped into and um, yeah, I don't know man, it's kind of that thing of like when you're growing up in hardcore and you see like the liner notes of a record and you know, the crowd looks insane or like the, the pit looks crazy or some pile on or whatever and then like if you were there, that might have just been, like, the, the raddest shot that they got at some sparsely attended show that looked like <laughs> every other show. But, like, at the time, you know, when you're in your bedroom and you've only been to, like, one or two shows, it just, like, sort of obtains this, like, folkloric quality to it, where it's, it's just this, like, crazy idealized thing. And, um, I mean, I think that's—the further and further we get removed from the time that Seven Angels or bands, like, from that time or, or any time were around, uh, the more— the, the taller the tails sort of grow you know I mean if you're a band nowadays you can just pop on like Hate hey56 or YouTube or whatever and watch like any show from any band and like and that's pretty rad but they're almost like exposed that way you know like we uh like i feel like kids think that like that scene and and the band i was in seven angels particularly was like so much of a huger deal than it actually was but it was just this i don't know it was like any other hardcore punk thing it was just like a tiny little we played like one good show in Milwaukee ever (laughs) when i was in that band seriously
0: it's really weird because i kind of find myself doing shit like that too and i wonder how much of it is just kind of due to the fact that around that time we didn't have, you know, access to really nice camera equipment or cell phone cameras or things like that to record all these things and post them online. So therefore, again, like the lore of the of a band or of a scene, it, it kind of grows because there isn't footage of it to see to kind of see like, yeah, there was like 15 people at this show. Um, because like, I, I think a lot about and especially at, like I said after uh, watching the documentary and listening to the couple of podcasts that you had been on, it reminded me of. Uh, refused. Like I remember getting into that band when Shape of Punk to Come had come out, uh, when it first came out, because I had heard uh, Rather Be Dead on like NCBX or something like that, or Fuse or something weird, and getting into the band. And by the time I got the CD and had to import it, because it didn't quite exist here in the states, just on every shelf, the band broke up. And so, you know, you're getting a record that, you know, kind of transcends genres and time, really, even still to this day. And what you don't realize is like and, you know as they have kind of talked about it on a few documentaries and in interviews, like those shows were like poorly attended when it came out. It was kind of considered a failure. Like you know, time made it grow into this big, large presence that it never was when it first came out. And it kind yeah. of made me reflect a lot about not only the band that you were in, but even a lot about the time frame that this documentary takes place with the the Misery Signals guys. Because um, I remember like when that record came out. The big, uh, you know, thing about it was it had members of Seven Angels Seven Plagues and it was really good. And memory serves me correct, uh, Devin Townsend produced the first record. Um, yep. So like, there was a lot of that for a lot of the metalheads and stuff like that to, to latch on to And I remember people, you know, being interested in it, but I don't remember it ever like when they'd come around. I don't remember like anyone being like, "I gotta go to that show." It was just, "Oh yeah, that's that band." And. It's weird to see now, like, the 10-year anniversary of it, like, packed shows, you know, playing in some of the same rooms that these guys have been in, where probably no one came the first time around when that lineup was there. So, it kind of makes me wonder, as as we get older and kind of this nostalgia thing is, is a commercially viable thing, an option, it makes me wonder how much, you know, someone saying they they love something, even though they didn't support it initially and then trying to be recapture their youth or recapture being you know at like the cool thing if that's kind of what's going on or if it really is you know remembering a time and place uh for these people and it seems to be in the documentary that it's more about these people genuinely latched on to the lyrics and latched on to the emotional vibe of the album and it really represents something for them very cathartic and, and emotional um but I don't know. It's, I've done a lot. Of, your, your documentaries made me do a lot of thinking. Uh, so yeah, so no, you know,
1: I'm, I'm sure it's a bit of both. I mean, I, I know we're seeing like this resurgence of. It doesn't even seem like you can officially be considered broken up anymore. You know, like bands hi- will break up and sort of hiatus. extended hiatuses. Yeah, and um, I mean, obviously, a lot of that's got to be due to the fact that like you know, bands get popular after their time, and then they they're able to come back and and cash in and i don't mean like financially cash in but maybe like enjoy some of like the you know maybe play a show where there's actually kids like and they actually know the songs and like you know enjoy like a successful tour for once in your life like um i'm sure i'm sure that's a huge part of like why we're seeing you know every other every i mean literally every year there's two or three bands that broke up like back in my day that are playing huge fast and then they end up going on tour and they put out a record. Um, yeah, and that's cool. I mean, that happens in, like, TV, too. Like, remember, like, Family Guy got canceled after a season, and then, like, the DVD was huge, so it got re-upped, and now it's been on for, like, 15 years. And, like, same thing happened with, like, Arrested Development and, like, all these TV shows, and, like, um, that's just how it goes kind of sometimes, you know?
0: How much of that do you think, though, is maybe a byproduct of the environment we live in now where everything is so quickly digested and just forgotten about as opposed to taking the time to really appreciate what you have when you have in the time that you have it.
1: Um, I'm sorry. Could you repeat the question?
0: I was good. I was kind of thinking how much of, you know, you talk about like, you know, things kind of like family guy, like people kind of missed the train on it when it was first out. It got canceled because it had piss poor ratings. Same with kind of, uh, I wouldn't say the same about arrested development because it did really well. It just ended. But due to the overwhelming popularity of kind of like the second life of these things on DVDs or Netflix or whatever, I'm wondering how much of some of these resurgences are due to people like living in a throwaway society. Like, where it's like if it, you know, I was making a comment to someone the other day talking about 90s uh, stuff and how, you know, advertising used to work really well. Like, remember Crossfire and like you could remember the jingle and you were excited when the commercial came. Yes, exactly. Crossfire! Yeah, and it's like, you were stoked, and it's like, advertising had awesome jingles, and they did good at marketing, and and everything a commercial is supposed to do, it did. Now we're in a society where people bitch if you have to watch a 15-second commercial before something. Uh, So I'm wondering, like, how much of that is just people not appreciating what they they have when they have it, because we have such throwaway uh, material, per se, whether it be, you know, digital media or whatever.
1: Yeah, you know, I don't know. I mean, this... In my experience and and i and i've I've met other people who have had the same experience hardcore is like this really, and and i suppose you could say punk or or whatever it is you're into is like this really sacred thing to you for a couple years and then it's almost like everybody seems to grow out of it and completely discount it and shit on it and not appreciate it but then like years later you know end up realizing that it like it shaped so many of of us and sort of who we've become and and the the deeper you were into it like probably the more affected By it, you were. Um, I mean, I do the same thing now, though, like, unless, like, I don't know, man, Pantera could be playing a reunion show down my street, and if I was tired after jiu-jitsu practice, I might just be like, I'm gonna chill and, like, watch Netflix, like, let me know how the show goes, you know? (laughs) Or like, But then, like, every once in a while, like, you'll you'll get dragged out of your house. Like, I went to go see Race Trailer the other night, because my my roommate's playing that band, and my my other roommate's band, Climate, was playing, and um, I didn't want to go, because I'm a fucking... Tired old man and i had to be up for practice the next day at six in the morning but i went and it was like this is awesome this is so fucking awesome and like i know it's i know it's that awesome all the time i just don't i just don't appreciate it because uh i don't know i'm, I'm lazy or whatever it is you know <laughs> and i mean I, I feel like there's there's an element of that to it too like um and when i was talking about success and sort of like the how i feel like seven angels was never really a successful band. I mean, you you really, I I didn't mean to make it sound like you you can measure success either financially or by the attendance of shows or anything like that. No, Because, I mean, I'm sure you've been to shows where there were 12 kids and they were some of the most special shows you've ever been to, you know? Um, And and I mean, we we played some really special shows. They just happened to be um, in basements with like, you know, 18 kids or or whatever it would be, you know? like those those things are are so really important, and um, I, I didn't mean to discount them before when I was saying that like we we played like one good show in Milwaukee. That, that's not entirely true. It's just sort of like um, it just seems so much bigger in retrospect than it, than it actually was. Right. Me, you know, the time that that I needed and, and the access really, which is what I think documentaries are are made of. It's it's the it's the the essence of a documentary is. What what did you get access to? You know, whether it be like arch- archival photos or videos, if it's a historical doc, or or in my case, when you're just following people around in real time, what are they willing to give you? Are they willing to stop and, and go into a room and take their time and tell you the truth and dig deep and share things with you? You know, um, and um, by that metric, everybody gave me crazy awesome access, like more than I could have hoped for. Um, and it just sort of grew from there. And I think that the whole project began to become kind of therapeutic for some of them. So I think some of them got more and more on board as the thing went on. Um, and, uh, you know, for for the time we had, I think we got really good stuff.
0: How do you think that if it had been anyone other than you, do you think they would, any of the the information given would have been the same or do you think it would have been, it only had to be you to be able to get this the information out of them and the the honesty out of everybody be-
1: well i mean they're they're a band that has they've been around forever so they have a lot of old friends you know um i'm not like the sixth member or anything i, I happen to be best friends with ryan and i've lived with kyle and brandon and Stu on and off for years and years and, I, and i've known jesse since the jump too so uh i'm very close with all of them but i mean I mean, hypothetically, if one of their other close friends happened to have been a documentary filmmaker, I'm sure they could have pulled off the same thing. I don't know if you know they knew anybody who was. It was sort of like a perfect, a perfect fit for me to be the one because uh, that was, you know, that's my that's my trade. That's what I do. Um, and you know, more than anything, I could get the answers from them. I could get the access. I could get the depth and the vulnerability. But also, I had the trust. So at the end of the day, you got to know that if you say something you don't mean or you know you come off sounding like an idiot or, or you cry or you laugh or you make fun of somebody on camera you can trust me that I'm not going to exploit that and make you look bad you know right. I mean there's warts and there's warts in the film there's things that people yeah. regret from their past there's things that people probably regretted saying uh, on the mic in 2014 um, but ultimately you know these are all decisions that we were able to Talk over and make sure everyone was comfortable with it going out, and um, whether or not it served ultimately served the story, which is an important story to all of them to tell.
0: What I what I kind of found interesting uh, in one of the discussions you had had previously, uh, and I guess since I keep bringing this up, I'm going to have to link those other two podcasts so people can get the full spectrum of why. That's I keep okay, let's up. just
1: let's just shut them out. So it's Edgeland okay, with uh, my, my boy Bill. Bill Conway, uh, awesome podcast. Yep. Um, he, he always interviews people who are straight edge or used to be straight edge. Um, and he's a, he's a comedian out here in Portland and he's like one of my best buds out here. Hilarious dude. Um, usually the conversations go deeper than straight edge and then it's, uh, wait, is it 30 words or less?
0: A hundred words or less.
1: hundred words or less. Yep. Yeah. Which is another awesome podcast. I just couldn't remember the guy's name. Uh, Ray. Oh shit, man. I, I kinda <laughs> can't remember his last name right now either.
0: Um, I remember the podcast name, but I was trying to remember each person's name, and I, I had that written down somewhere else.
1: Dude, why can't I remember his last name right now? I'm <laughs> slipping. Me and him like became best friends. Ray Harkins. Yeah, okay. Well, whatever. We were just talking. We had like a, a thousand things in common, and we just have been keeping in touch. And uh, he's a great dude, and I'm really happy to have finally connected with him via podcast. But so yeah, hundred words or less. With Ray Harkins. Awesome conversation. Um, cool conversations, you know, in and around this world as well. I'm, I'm probably not selling these too well, but just check them out.
0: I'll link them for sure um, cool. but in in one of them, you had made the comment that you, you actually don't really like documentaries, uh, which I thought was interesting that for someone who doesn't necessarily like the, that specific form of film that that's kind of what you've ended up doing a few things few projects in um, yeah. so I know I think those were at least a year old or close to it. Have you found that your perspective has changed? Because I know one of the other projects you're doing sounded kind of like another documentary of sorts, Um, not music related though.
1: Yeah, I I co-directed another feature-length documentary that's being edited right now. I'm hoping it will see um, a couple of film festivals by the end of this year and be released probably around this time next year. Um, It's about a high school in Milwaukee, Wisconsin that has a high population of LGBTQ students. um, And it's it's about an art project that takes place there. It's very much about identity and um, sexuality, socioeconomic conditions. all, a thousand different things. It's it's a, uh, um, but yeah, it's a documentary. It's a, it's another feature-length doc that I co-directed. Um, yeah, no, I still don't like them. <laughs> <laughs> here's why. Okay, here's why. They, they end up being like like the garbage can of like, uh, nah, I don't want to say the garbage can. They end up being like the default thing people want to make about a thing. Okay, so like, let's say you have a story, right? That story could be told. Uh, It could be a play. It could be a book. It could be a song. It could be a poem. It could be a, a, a scripted film with actors in it. It could be a documentary film with talking heads, archival footage, maybe even like Verite, somebody following somebody else around. Or it could be, and so often is never like... A long article on the Atlantic or in Esquire or something, where somebody where they just have like they have the sources and they tell you a bunch of shit, and you're like, oh, now I know the story of such and such. As opposed to, no, you have to sit and give us your eyes and your ears and all of your attention for 90 minutes, and we're going to tell you something that you could probably could just read in 20 minutes. Um, <laughs> but I mean, that happens everywhere. Like you, you see, I mean, I see personally a lot of like biopics that I wish were documentaries because I'm like watching. Um, joel edgerton in Lo- in that movie loving or-, or whatever like acting out a story that i wish i could have just heard like i don't think the anybody from that movie is still living but i wish i could have heard people actually talk about it. and like you know you like you see a biopic and at the end they show the photos of the people that it was actually about and you're like you get all teary-eyed and you're just like fuck i wish it had just been that the whole time you know bloodsport. <laughs> what's for it what's for
0: yeah when they show the real frank nukes and you're just like what the fuck Oh, shit, I, didn't
1: even, I, I haven't seen Bloodsport since I was watching Cinemax at, like, 2 in the morning at age 13 or whatever. So I
0: just always remember, the thing that always stuck with me is, like, you're just like, man, this is a really interesting, like, action movie. And then, like, the very end, when they don't mention any of this shit in the beginning, it's just like, the real Frank Dukes came back, and he set all these records, and blah, blah, blah. And then I was like, well, how do you know he set these records? Because the Kumite is, like... It's secret and you can't there's no press so how do we know that he won like obviously he's alive but it's like how do you know he won like six of these things in a row how do you know he had the fastest knockouts like you don't know this shit like speaking of your own lore it's like yeah i went to the kumiten let me tell you all about it i killed everybody and i had the fastest everything like well where do you have like the can we find any of these things or check your stat no nope I'm sorry (laughs) so it's just like one of those that I've always like kind of looked at that as like being like oh that was based on a real story like oh okay (laughs) it's and sorry to cut you off on finishing your thing though but I as someone who really actually enjoys documentaries of all kinds specifically band ones it's it's kind of interesting that someone that did it I think you did a really good job with it and it kind of really like I said it it, uh, was very heavy emotionally and uh even now, like today I was casually listening to the uh, Of Malice record and some of the stories that get discussed about the specific songs and the lyrics and stuff like that, I feel like I have more, like they resonate a lot more than they ever have. And even knowing some of the stories, having read, like you were saying like you could read these stories really quickly I've known some of these stories but being able to, like to see Jesse talk about, you know, some of these lyrics and, and where they came from in conjunction with some of the you know the photos that you included in some of like the the paper clippings and whatnot really adds just you know so much more weight to to what's going on and what they did uh back then uh so it's interesting that for someone and maybe it's because of your disdain for how some of these documentaries that you do watch comes across that you put more effort into making sure yours doesn't fall into these same trappings is is that a possibility or am i just kind of getting way too much into it
1: well, I mean, okay. After after shitting on documentaries real hard, I just want to say that like the, the kind <laughs> the kind that I do like are ones like you see on Vice a lot, where it's just like a camera is following a thing that's happening, and that's what we're talking about. And you are transported to a time and place and given access. You you know, you travel to uh, whatever Botswana or something and like hang out while they like blow up these oil fields or something, and you're there and you're seeing this shit happen in, in, you know, quote unquote, real time. Obviously it's, you know, it didn't happen like, it's not live, but like you're seeing it happen there as opposed to what so often ends up being the case, which is like somebody in a studio talking head video and they're just telling you something and then you see a picture of it. That's the shit that bores the hell out of me. Not that it can't be done well, obviously there's great documentaries and bad documentaries, but like the kind I like to make are the ones where I'm just in somebody's face with the camera following them around and I'm giving you access to hopefully uh, an interesting story that's unfolding live in real time which is what Yesterday Was Everything is it's sort of a story about an old story but also a story that's taking place in real time and they're weaving together and coming to um, a point
0: How long did it take you to come to that narrative for the for the documentary was that a a very was the vision for it pretty obvious from the get-go of what you wanted to do with it or was it something kind of as you went through and kind of like because i could see like the the kind of re-going back and and kind of really delving deep into the band's past around that time frame to be one thing but as you're saying like you're, you're telling a story about another story and then they both kind of collide between you know everything that's going on what is that something that you're able to see like ahead of time that that's what you want to do and you're just trying to do everything to do it or is that more something that comes together in the editing floor and as you're putting everything together or even maybe during the process like midway through yeah before
1: we left uh we had a conversation with everybody from the band it was a a email chain with the band and the management about what the project would be and uh jesse zaraska the old singer of misery signals who was rejoining the band for this of malice and the magnum heart 10 year anniversary tour was expressing that he wanted to do a comprehensive documentary telling the history of misery Signals and how they began and the tragic accident that sort of brought some of them together uh, happening on a Seven Angels, Seven Plagues compromise tour a couple years before. Uh, and he was saying he wanted to do that. And I was like, I can't do that. That is a gigantic project. Um, it's gonna take too long. Um, I'm not gonna have you know, I, don't, I don't have an Emmy to take that on, basically. I would love to, um, but I, I don't think that that's... That's not going to fit in this. What we're doing now is going to have to take place... Production's going to have to take place at the, the first show in Vancouver and end at the last show in Toronto. And we're, whatever we, we end up talking about or showing is going to take place in that box. It's going to be a self-contained 11, 12 days, whatever it was. Um, and... He was like, cool, like I still wanna do that someday, but you know, whatever, do you. Uh, and there was a day on the tour where old stuff just came up and we got into it. And um, we, I, mean, I don't wanna give it away but its It's all up there in the doc. It's it's, uh, its sort of the turning point in the documentary. And it was the turning point in production of the film where I realized like, fuck, we're, we're gonna go, we gotta do this now, we're gonna go there. Like I have to tell the story. Um, and, it, you know, it, it popped up organically, which is cool. So it makes sense in the the narrative as far as, like, weaving two stories together, one that took place ten years ago. Um, it's also really inspired by Game of Thrones. Uh, <laughs> those of you who watch the show don't know. I mean, I don't, I don't know how deep they got into it in the show because I stopped watching the show after season three because it just got too... Well far removed from the books, some of my favorite things about the books is that it's two stories being told at the same time and they're they're not weighted equally, but there's like this this mystery of this thing that happened years and years before we, we meet up with our characters and it sort of gets told in rumors and in flashbacks and in, um, you know, just in the character spots and sometimes in conversations and you never sort of get all of it. So it's two stories that are still building. And I don't really even know how the historical one ends at this point in the books. And, um, And I was like, oh, cool. And we kind of, we sort of tell the story that way in this doc as well. We're telling a story of how this band got together, and then we're telling a story of this band sort of trying to keep it together um, years and years later.
0: How do you know what to put in? Because there's there's a lot of parts in the movie, in the documentary, where I, it's kind of interesting because I feel like on occasion the camera's on said person or kind of just hangs on a word or, or a vibe. For a couple of extra seconds, and then, like, you kind of keep watching, and you're like, all right, we're still on this thing and watching this person deal with the ramifications of, like, kind of what they're talking about and reliving these experiences. Were there several edits where maybe, like, you kind of cut away from that and then found that, like, you're not getting as emotionally attached to the like the individuals and the story of what's going on? Or was that something that kind of, no?
1: No, I mean, it was, I mean, the first cut of this thing was three hours long. (laughs)
0: which is
1: fucking ridiculous like but i mean that was like my first pass where i was like yo this is all the shit that i want to put in this obviously i know not all of this is going to make it so it had loads more you know long silences and stuff like that because you know as the director and as the um as the editor you you fall in love with these these certain takes and these little tangents and these stories here there and then the delivery of these stories you know like there were a lot of really emotional conversations that took place on this tour and uh A lot of long silences a lot of you know just letting these guys think and and remember and sort of reckon with some of these memories in real time and um i had to slash a lot of i had to chop a lot of those things up just for the sake of moving the story along but i mean i want you to be in there and and feel what they're feeling as well as i can while still making the narrative move you know
0: how hard was it for you to be there sometimes it's one-on-one with these people as they're kind of You know, like, I'm thinking of of scene with Jesse as kind of, and the one with Stu, really, like, the lingering shot kind of on them, and, you know, the, fuck, man, I'm sorry, give me a minute. And, like, I, I it made me feel awkward being there because I, I feel like it's a thing that, you, you know, like, as like you're watching someone go through something very emotional, and, and I feel like it's, like, one of those things where you're like, man, this would be happening without the camera, which is something that I, I always love about a documentary. Like, you don't feel like you're... It's kind of like you're kind of seeing behind the, the, you know, behind the curtain of things. But I feel like it's got to be really hard for you to sit there and, and, you know, watch someone, you know, that you care about, your friends tell these stories. and, And probably that you, I mean, you had kind of had made mention that some of these things that you're talking about were on a tour that you were supposed to be on or whatever, thinking about having gone on it, and you didn't. Man, I don't know, I have like two questions I'm trying to ask them. they're fighting to kind of... No, no, on. no, I
1: hear you let me jump in, so yeah. yeah, I mean you hit it right in the head, man, these were conversations that, I mean I, I don't even know if it would be happening normally it, it was really cool that we had the opportunity to use the doc as a reason to bring all this shit up, you know and I mean like, I don't want to step on the end of the movie, but the way things turn out uh, some of the way things turned out may have been a result of the fact that everybody had to dive in deep and go you know think about and talk about these things with one another that they don't want to talk about because they're fucking hard you know um and and i'm glad we got these opportunities but yeah like it's not hard to me at all it's just you know that's what that's what being a document or a journalist or uh, somebody who makes a documentary or something like that that's what it's all about is about being genuinely curious about um people and um their their lives and what's going on in their head and then being you know being there to listen to them it's just like being a good friend it's just you know being someone just being there you know i mean the awkward part is making sure i got them in focus when they're they're talking about something you know really intense and and i'm i feel like a jerk you know making sure like yo i gotta get this footage but you know i mean you start just you start just being there and and giving them a, a chance to get it off their chest and um So many of those moments were really, really fucking cathartic. I mean, I had, this was like the deepest I've ever, it was one of the the realest times I've had with Stu in years and years. And and me and this dude used to live, uh, we lived like, we both lived upstairs in the same house. Like we were, you know, we were super close and we sort of uh, drifted apart after he moved away. And we had the opportunity to just sit down and have these really deep conversations with one another and, and re reforge our friendship and, and jesse's a, a guy that i've known forever and we've never really been close and i feel like some of the the stuff that you see in this doc is like literally just us fucking bonding for the first time ever um and yeah like I'll, I'll cherish those moments man like they were they were intense and and really important um oh wait i remember what i was gonna say the other thing is too is you're talking about like this sort of affecting me as well like this is I guess another reason going back to your question earlier of like, could this have worked with anyone else? Uh, I, I don't know. I think that the list of people that could have worked with maybe is a little bit smaller in respect to what I just remembered, which is that this is kind of my story too, you know, like, um, a tragedy took place on a tour, uh, that four of, no three of my best friends were on. I mean, in retrospect, with respect to Jesse and Sue who I didn't meet later, you know, five of my closest friends were on, um, that I could have been, I fucking could have been on, you know? And um, tragic things happened on that tour. Um, and they could have happened to me, they could have happened to my friends. And uh, my my band, my old band, Seven Angels, like sort of looms large in um, inside this film. They're, they're referenced a lot and people were referencing me in the interviews at times and saying you and and i would have to say like can you say matt Nixon? like because i i didn't know how i I was going to eventually going to frame it it didn't turn into a problem i was editing it but you know there's a lot of talk about like our band and like um these young these young kids who who were huge fans of our band and and the record that i was on who um who looked up to us and wanted to go play a, a tour with them and you know ended up losing their lives um and I'd always known all that stuff, you know, obviously I've known those dudes. I I lived with Ryan and Kyle at the time, um, but none of it, it, it hadn't, the gravity of that story did not hit me until I was shooting this documentary, which is kind of fucked up and sad. But I mean, I don't know if you, I don't know if I had it in me to process how heavy it was when I was 21, um, you know, it was just something we talked about and it was like, damn, that's fucking crazy. I'm going to go play Tony Hawk 2 on PlayStation right now. like. Have a head up my ass, you know. And then you're in Edmonton, and you're looking at photos, and you're you're meeting friends and family, and um, you know, talking about these these really sad, tragic things, and and it all kind of hits you. Um, remember, there was a, a picture book, a photo album we were looking through at Jesse's parents' house. Uh, his his mom, Carol, has all these great photos, a lot of which are featured in the film. She was a a fucking angel as far as providing us with archival stuff for the movie. Almost everything good you see in the film is a result of her uh painstakingly uh scanning photos for weeks and weeks i would hit her up and so shout out to her um but yeah there was a photo of of two girls that i'd never met in the hospital while they're waiting for one of their friends to recover from this horrific accident and they both had seven angels seven plague shirts on and uh it was like that man that that like that that moment was like a a a really real that was like the day that when I was like holy shit we had to tell this other story that was just like it really hit home for me um, and, and as I said like this is really kind of a personal story to me as well so you know I had to give it every care and, and consideration that but I'm not sure somebody who, who was removed from this situation um, might have even been equipped to do.
0: Was it hard to kind of tell the story like you just said you were a part of the story within the story there was was a couple of times where if I'm remembering correctly uh, where you you kind of even paint yourself kind of to be sort of an asshole uh, at times just due to how things happen like I'm thinking of that like benefit show that you decided you weren't going to do that Jesse ended up singing for instead Uh, at least that's kind of how it came across where it was like yeah, we tried to have uh, Matt do the show, and then he said oh, no. Oh, no,
1: that's the that's the other Matt. That wasn't oh,
0: me. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah,
1: fuck that. No, I would have done that in two seconds. Well, that's what, I- like, as
0: I'm listening to this, and, like, Jesse's like, yeah, so that's why I had to sing. And I was just like, wow, like – like Mixon's gonna put it in there that like he was being kind of a like dick and didn't want to <laughs> no, go for no. that like okay like I was like wow the ball's on you dude like to just be like yeah I, I fucking did that <laughs> but I was no, kind of no, no, no. that,
1: that was the the old guitar player's name was also Matt
0: okay Um. alright well that makes a lot more sense because <laughs> uh, I with Jesse saying it and then looking at the flyer where it's like seven angels seven plates with Jesse singing I was like alright so I, I figured it, I just kind of drew the correlation it must have been you Um. that being said was there was there ever a point where you were thinking of having your like interviewing or having someone interview you to kinda tell some of your perspective on some of these things? Or was that never really an option because you didn't wanna like with you directing it and doing everything else, didn't kinda wanna put yourself in it as well, since you kinda already were by proxy.
1: Yeah, that was that was something I planned to do all along. Um, until basically until I got into deep editing around like last fall or so i was gonna have a friend of mine interview me i was gonna have a friend of mine watch and assemble the film and then go back through a documentary filmmaker friend of mine and then interview me and have me put my two cents in it but the reason i didn't do it is because of the same reason that i don't interview Carl Schubach, the the current quote unquote, singer of Misery Signals at the time of filming. It's the same reason I don't interview a lot of the family members. And it's the same reason I don't interview Jared and Matt from Seven Angels, even though they kind of get shit on. It's that same thing I told you earlier, is that everything that we shot was contained within that that container of the tour. It started in Vancouver, it ended in Toronto. We told the story just within that. Um, And even though I was on that tour, I, I sort of wasn't, you know, there was no way to like work me in organically. We have some really fantastic interviews that make sense in the context of this film because those people were hanging out there and they're they're just, you know, showing up at these shows and kicking it or, or they're on the tour in a different band. So we were able to kind of steal them away for a minute to get their two cents on a certain element of the, the story or whatever. Uh, and those all make sense within the context of the, you know, of the tour. So it, I mean, ultimately, I still would have done it at the end of the day, because I could have just been, like, an ultimate, like fill in anything that was unclear with my interview be like, yo, ask me this, and then I'll just say all this shit but we just didn't need it at the end of the day so I, I never had to do it, thankfully I had a picture of myself in there for a while because they showed a picture of Seven Angels and that was like <laughs> my only appearance I think you can see me shooting some of the New York show but other, otherwise, uh, no, I'm not i I'm not in this thing
0: at all I mean, as you just kind of spoke, on some of the stuff dealing with uh, I mean, at this point now, everyone knows that the original lineup is back together and, and that Carl and Greg are no longer in the band did you ever wrestle with even with you know some of the shit talking as you were saying about some of the other dudes from like the seven angels stuff did you ever have kind of the thought of maybe real quickly like kind of talking to these people at all and getting their side or is there even a point now that you're kind of done and it's potentially going to be released you know relatively soon this year of maybe like i wonder how this is going to be received because of Man, I, I've been wrestling with this all week, like I said, and I still really don't know how to ask this in, in such a way. Uh,
1: Go for it, man. I can take it.
0: No, no, it's it's not even that I don't know how to ask it to not be like rude. It, it's I'm still kind of wrestling with with the thing. As as we've kind of said, and for those, you know, when when this comes out, this will make a lot a lot of what I'm saying and what you're saying will make a lot more sense once people see this documentary. With it being so heavy, and with it dealing with a lot of baggage that people were carrying with them for you know 10 years or 10 years plus uh in some instances with with the tragedy that like with the accident that happened to start it off and and so forth i feel like this obviously the this this tour was the catalyst for that that lineup getting back together but there's some things that are said that kind of lead to that kind of make you kind of feel a little awkward like you know, I kind of wish this. You know, Carl in this in this instance had a voice to at least go, yeah. You know, when this tour was coming up, I was really excited. Obviously, being a fan of the band. Uh, but when this album came out, so on and so forth, just being able to say like maybe a quick something to have it be in there. Um, but I mean, at the time, to be fair, you probably didn't know that that was what's going to happen. So I guess, in all fairness, adding that would just be extra shit that probably isn't needed. I guess now that I'm actually kind of talking my way through it from your perspective, of uh, how a film should be to go, but I don't know, it's just, was it kind of hard to, to throw in some of those things knowing that, you know, like, you probably you probably will catch some of the brunt of the shit or that the band maybe will catch you know, like, you had made the comment earlier about, you know, sometimes the band will say things and maybe regret them, but, you know, like, warts and all, like, there's I feel like that's definitely one of the warts in the movie to me where I'm just kind of like I feel like I wish I had more information or maybe a little bit more closure that hasn't been been discussed on all ends i don't know yeah no.
1: so so yeah i mean i mean you're really referencing like there's some people who catch catch some shrapnel in this movie um and specifically carl the the current singer of of misery signals at the time of filming of this movie and and jared and matt two of my old friends from a band i used to be in um yeah you know we saw carl on the tour in regina where he lives and I really regret not talking to him, but it was one of those nights where I just, like, didn't have it in me. I remember being so tired, and I was like, give me the fucking pizza, and then I'm going to bed. <laughs> and, like, I saw him for, like, one second. and uh... But I'm not sure I would have known what to ask him, because at that point, certain things in the story hadn't really presented themselves yet. And it was, you know, like you said, things are weird. Things were Things were fucking weird, man. Things were fucking weird on that tour, and they were weird after that tour. And if they're, you know, normal now or whatever, um, they were weird not too long ago, you know? And I mean, I'm saying that as somebody who has, like, inside info because these students are my friends, but also just as the, as somebody who's just generally trying to follow the story and um, get clear answers and report on some of this stuff. Um, yeah, I mean, <clears throat> these are... These are Characters. Who? Greg is another one. Greg from *Mystery Signals*.
0: Like he was he, in it for a split second, so I, I half expected it at that point for because that was when a, some footage of Carl from like 2003 or four was introduced. And then I remember seeing a uh, at one of the shows like you were talking about. Greg, you could see Greg in the group shot of like people just like hanging out backstage. Yeah, or yeah, yeah. So I had an
1: interview with Greg. I interviewed Greg in New York City. Uh, But it just didn't really fit like nothing that he said was was working with what I what I needed to tell You know, I would have loved to have a little tangent saying like, hey, this is Greg This is the guy who currently plays guitar for this band just to even make it more clear as to why it's such a an interesting Lineup change with Stu and and Jesse Uh, But it just never really made sense I mean Greg is somebody I wanted to include just because Greg was in that band for a while, you know And he deserved to be um, Represented in a, a film about this band. And He's one of my really close friends and It sucked, but he didn't fit, you know, and um, it was the same thing as like not including interviews with some of the family members or interviews with people who could have been really, really shine some light on some of the story points. It was just it it had to it had to exist within the confines of that tour or we could have just gone on and on till infinity. You know, that was, I think, something I thought I wanted for myself to sort of limit what we could do you know because you can just keep working on this fucking thing forever until you've done I mean I would have interviewed all the dudes again two times each just to get clearer stories from them all you know but I mean something about it happening in the, in moment, the moment at the time in the place while it's developing I mean over the course of this doc it's, it's a two week period you're going to see feelings change from you know Tuesday to next Thursday you know like it's not, it's a very short period of time and, and lots of stuff develops over the course of that time and I, I love that um,
0: definitely a roller coaster. Form. form. I was going to say, definitely yeah. a roller coaster watching it. Like, the. I, and ang- I,
1: I just never wanted to break that form, you know? Yeah. Um and, and, you know, if, if somebody had said something that they regretted and didn't think was truthful or thought was unnecessarily hurtful and wanted taken out, I would have taken it out. I, I definitely fought for some stuff that people felt a little queasy about going out there. And I'm sure they're going to cringe when they watch it. But, um,. These were all, I I didn't, nothing, there were no unnecessary shots in this film, you know? I respect all the people who are talked about and not there to defend themselves, and anything that was in there that might have been, you know, taken as a slight or a diss, uh, these are all supporting story points that I I felt needed. They're, They're in there for a reason,
0: you know? No, totally, and the thing about with the Carl thing, it... In hindsight, of like you know, that's kind of the thing that, and I, I guess kind of in wrapping up soon, unless you gotta got some extra time. But the thing that I thought was kind of interesting about all that, having known the outcome of all this shit now, like, I mean, it's that tour happened two years two years ago, one year ago. Um, do you coming up
1: on three years, man? This is ridiculous.
0: Is it? Shit, I yeah, I I'm really bad with like some year. of that sometimes. Like just shit. As you get older, you just lose track of time. <laughs> is the Tell gist. Me about it. Um, but I was going to say, the uh, everything in it, like like I said, that part and a lot of other parts in the documentary kind of stayed with me. But even if I had a gripe with something, not a gripe, but even if I had something where I was like, ugh, that um, was kind of rough, it served the per- the better purpose of the narrative as a whole. So, I mean, in that regard, like, I mean, you did your job. You did exactly what you set out to do, the the way everything's edited, tells a story and wraps up you know in the time frame in the box that you had and wanted to do it all in um you had talked about it being initially a three-hour first draft or first cut um do you see yourself at any point when this is finally done everything's done of maybe having like a director's cut where there's like extra stuff or like a bonus content or uh is this not really going to ever live outside of being something released digitally. Like, do you have a plan for how this is going to be released at this point?
1: Yeah, it's going to be on iTunes and probably Amazon and Google Play. Really, really soon. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) So no hard
0: copies? It's not going to be put on, like, a Blu-ray or anything hard copy?
1: I mean, I don't think so. I mean, if the band ever wants to press them to sell them at shows, I don't even think that would be, like, something that would be profitable for anyone. (laughs) Maybe if if they ever want to do it as, like, a collector's item, that's fine. I don't really give a shit if it ever... It's it's more trouble than it's worth in 2017. You know, like everything's in the cloud. Um, I mean, I'm a I'm a person who still buys Blu-rays because I, I love superior picture and sound. But like, I know I'm in the minority out here. Um, yeah, originally I really wanted to do a lot of marketing stuff with little featurettes of like big big things that have gotten cut. Um, but it just comes down to time, man. Editing is this it's a motherfucker. It takes fucking forever, and I. You know, my apologies to the fans. I know we announced this thing and have been talking about it for going on fucking since the tour, since kids saw me with the camera at the tour and me like Instagramming about it and be like, yo, there's gonna be a movie about this. Like I nobody, I never thought this would take three years. Uh, I finished the the cut, I picture locked it in May and now we're looking at like maybe hopefully getting it out in March of the following year. That's fucking ridiculous. But I mean, dude, it's just time consuming, man. Life gets in the way. Like that when I was banging on this thing, it was probably like eight months of like 40 hours a week of editing for, you know, no money. Like it's just a project that I had to get finished because it was a big deal and it was an important story to me. And then so as work and other things pop up, you kind of got to put it in the back burner and then you're waiting for sound mixes and poster art and all this like weird legal shit that we're worrying about. And um it's, it says, it's about as DIY, I mean, for being a project about hardcore, we're, we're doing it the hardcore <laughs> way, which is which is fun. Uh, we're figuring it out as we go, and we're gonna, you know, just like as you do in hardcore, you, you're armed with uh, these skills for the next time you go around, you know? I mean, the next time I do something like this, I'm gonna know, we learned a lot of lessons on this thing as far as how to put out a, a feature-length film. Uh, we've done a lot of things differently but i mean ultimately like once once we got past the point where like the expiration date had passed and it wasn't really newsworthy anymore it was like the pressure was off and let's just take our time and make it as good as we can and it's still an important story it's you know a lot of the story takes place fucking nearly 20 years ago so it's not like something that people are going to be like oh old hat i know that shit you know not interested um so i don't even know what the question was Summer rambling
0: no that, that's the whole point of a podcast honestly and i do the exact <laughs> same thing um You had talked about actually kind of piggybacking off of that of how long it's taken you. You had tried to get it into a few different film festivals. uh, Portland Film Festival being the, as far as I know, the only one that actually accepted it. Uh, Yeah. Because I think on the the Straight Edge podcast thing, you had... uh, Edgeland with Bill Conway. I think you had said that you had applied for like six or seven things, sent in deposits, all that kind of crap. Uh, And Portland, it's obviously was the only one that apparently uh, did anything with it or got back to you. Um, how did you feel getting, you know, a film, a documentary into a film festival? And what was the reception uh, on it? Uh,
1: I mean, it was tight. I, I got to be honest, I was really disheartened that that was the only one we got in. We probably applied for like 20 and got accepted by one. My shit is just too real for these punks. Like, <laughs> out no, I mean, like, I know a lot of film festivals don't accept unfinished content. And I sent it out without a complete sound mix. I had missing scenes. I had like black... Like scenes that weren't covered with B-roll, I had temp credits, I had temp titles, and I know like a lot of film festivals will see something like that. Like some of them even said like don't bother if your shit's not done. And I was just like, eh, it's good though, no. so, so I sent it anyway. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I was I was pretty bummed that it only got into one, but I mean I don't know. It's a it's about a bunch of kids jumping around, screaming in rooms, and sweating on each other, and screaming in mics and stuff. You know, I didn't know if it would really translate, and I, I guess I guess a lot of people weren't feeling it. Um, I feel like I just got accepted to that one because I was one of the only local filmmakers. They're like a pretty young fest, so they, they needed some local filmmakers, even though they completely treated it like shit and fucking broadcasted in the wrong aspect ratio and fuck those dudes. But, uh.
0: Hold, hold on. Yeah. What, what happened? <laughs> Sorry, you can't just kind of gloss over that, at least.
1: Ah, well, I mean they're doing good work they're, they're they they are are a young film festival they're figuring it out but yeah they, they broadcast my film in the wrong aspect ratio apparently I didn't see it but oh. the guy told me after and I was like wanted to kill him
0: <laughs> Well,
1: so yeah uh, but otherwise it was you know it sold out it was a small theater but a bunch of fans of the band and a lot of my friends showed up so
0: it was cool reception was pretty good and it sounds like everyone yeah. likes it from what you know like I said the two podcasts that you know those dudes checking it out and myself and um, I know. I know. For me, it uh, like I said, it was probably. Well, actually, I guess that'll be kind of one of the last questions I ask after I make this comment. Um, honestly, that this documentary is one of the ones I've been looking forward to, like you said, since it was announced that it was a th- gonna be a thing. Um, as being someone who's into the band, and there's really not a whole lot of content about Misery Signals themselves, like as far as you know, long interviews or you know. Uh, interviews on film, per se. Um, I guess, like you said, it's kind of an art form going away just because people would rather read something in 10 minutes as opposed to watching and getting more of a backstory. Um, that being said, there was a documentary that was supposed to come out. Um, I don't even remember what the fuck it was called at this point, but yeah. I remember there was a trailer that was released and it was supposed to come out two days after, or maybe three or four days after my birthday in September, and I got really fucking amped and then the thing just never happened. Uh, I remember the band commenting something about the person that didn't stop contacting them or whatever, but with there being so much hype... Yeah, while you're at
1: it, can I just... Well, I'm dropping fuck yous. Can I just drop a fuck you to that dude, too? Because that dude had a bunch of footage that didn't belong to him that was shot by Ryan on the tour that we're talking about in my film that I tried to get back from this motherfucker for, like, two years, and he fucking sent me on a wild goose chase. He would respond. He would not respond. He sent me half of what I needed. He would ghost and just disappear for months and months at a time. He would give us a runaround. And straight up, fuck that dude. Fuck him. His movie's never coming out. Mine's way better.
0: I remember that a lot of people were very interested in Obviously, going online and reading comments about things, people seemed very interested and then obviously it went away and no one knows really what happened other than just the guy disappeared with all the footage. I guess that is the answer there. Um... but how hard was it to I mean you had talked about expectations of this thing coming out when you had kind of released a a faux trailer that you were working on this thing how hard is it the expectation of something that was gonna come out it's not gonna come out now you're doing this other thing do you feel like there's a lot of extra pressure because there was already like anxiety or not anxiety but a a huge uh, upswell of like excitement about this documentary and then now you're kind of what you're doing is gonna be the thing that now people see was that extra pressure to kind of get this thing done and make sure it was good or
1: no I mean I feel I feel pressure to the guys who it's about because they're some of my closest friends you know and they, they gave me this this access they gave me the keys to this this vehicle and um, so for a while I was like you know stressed the fuck out because I, I, I knew that they were wondering how the progress was doing and when they should expect it and everything like that but I mean once we got to the point where it was like alright understand that this is probably not going to be released this year and or or whatever you know it was fine um they're all they've been tremendously supportive everyone from the band um all, all those dudes have you know uh they're the only ones i'm really too worried about like i said uh the i i apologies to the fans for announcing something and then not coming out with it for forever i appreciate their patience and uh but I'm just trying to make something worth their time, you know? I, I didn't want to put out something... We could have made, like, a real surface-level, crummy fucking thing and had it out that winter, uh, and you would have forgotten about it by now. Um, but instead, we wanted to make something for quality, and, and I hope I hope the fans uh, will still take a peek at it. It's
0: definitely worth checking out. I, uh, I'm excited for it to come out and buy it and see how like, it compares to what I saw, because... To me, I thought it was a, a final product uh, as it stands. Um, last question I actually have for you on it. Why... How hard was it to, do, to not do a typical band documentary type thing and have a, a lot of, like, you know, doing the individual songs or having a few of the songs in full on the thing?
1: Well, the songs were always going to be this filler for... Uh, to fill in the time that there wasn't story. And... Um, at first, I thought it would be forty minutes of song, maybe sixty minutes of of uh, or no, I'm sorry, forty minutes of song, forty minutes of documentary story, and then we barely reach feature length. But then, like I said, we put together that three hour cut. That was all just interviews and verte and like documentary shit. And then it was like, oh, I got to put songs in this too. That's that's insane. So <laughs> um, <clears throat> it wasn't hard. I mean, like we we uh, shot all of the live footage with volunteers. We didn't have a this this thing had no budget, you know, like. I just went out to do it. They they gave me a little bit of money to like uh, shoot, you know, their, them playing songs and like cover my travel expenses and stuff. But like to shoot a good document, like a good band documentary, you gotta have like a crew. You gotta have like five cameras that know what they're doing. You gotta have an audio person. Um, all these logistics, post processing, all this shit. Um, <clears throat> so we did this with volunteers. It was like put out a thing on Facebook, like, "Yo, if you're a fan of this band and you work in video and you want to come out and help us shoot this, please come out." and we got some really talented kids and then we got some kids that didn't know what they were doing and I appreciate all of them. I didn't end up using a lot of the footage because uh, it sort of ended up looking too like music video-ish if I was cutting from this angle to this angle to this angle and I thought it fit more into the narrative of just being like a you know fly on the wall to have it be my camera. And you know I wasn't shooting it to make it seem like it was just one camera. I was shooting it expecting to cover it with five cameras. So you see a lot of like wobbly out of focus, all kinds of stuff. But like, but again, like as, as this process went on, it became more about the story and everybody in the band really supported that. And they, they felt it was really on a part of their brand and, and like a real misery signals thing to do to have this thing be about this intense story as, as opposed to being about the music and we get some cool musical flourishes in there. There's some, there's some awesome moments in there, but it's not like, you know, it's not a live DVD by any means. I mean, I would say as far as like there being more stuff down the road, if the band ever was like, yo, can we just put some of those those sets out? That's like something I would dig back into and try and unearth some of those things. A lot of them were recorded like shit. Audio was recorded like shit. But if kids wanted to see those, I, I would make them available to the band to put them out however they wanted or whatever.
0: Maybe another time we'll talk about uh, Fuck City because I actually feel like I could talk about that for a while. Just because I... Still not like it's a collection of friends, but I feel like you're sort of a weird artist collective as well. Between doing a label, a clothing line, you know, being in so many different bands and so forth. So, uh, maybe another time if you would like to discuss that in a little more detail, sure, uh, that's fine. That. Hit me up whenever, yeah. Well, uh, socials where uh, where can people uh, find you? And
1: at Matthew Mixon, uh, that's Twitter and Instagram is in Mary I X O N. I basically just tweet about the new Predator movie coming out next year. And sometimes I Instagram photos of me like at the movies or something stupid. It's not very important.
0: How do you feel about the new uh, alien movie getting ready to drop?
1: Dude, I'm fucking hype. I don't watch trailers anymore because they give away too much. But like I saw a picture of it by accident today with Catherine Watterson, who like I'm a huge fan of. Dude, it's going to be sick. I'm stoked. I, I didn't even really fuck with Prometheus.
0: What? But, uh, that was great. I I'd go back
1: and watch it because it's just beautiful. And Ridley Scott's tight. I don't know. I'm, I'm psyched, man.
0: It'll be. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. There's, and then Get Out is getting ready to come out. Uh, I think this week. I'm excited about what that. What is Get Out? That Jordan Peele movie.
1: Oh yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah. That Let's looks see, pretty. Twenty seventeen is going to be sick. Okay, so we got Star Wars number one.
0: Not a we fan. Got... But... Really? No. Nah.
1: All right, this podcast is over. See
0: you then. <laughs> I was going to say, time. I'll actually, I'll blow it. I'll, I'll, you'll hear a collective groan eventually when this gets released. <laughs> Here's the other movie I've never seen that everyone gives me shit for. Uh, Goonies oh really yeah but then like everyone's like well you gotta watch it I go why so I can recapture the youth of watching it now that it's a 32 year old man
1: yeah I mean you know if you caught it in context I'm sure you would have been a fan of it probably maybe not now but yeah it's a great movie
0: it's funny my wife always throws me under the bus for never having seen that and I always go yeah well she's never seen Shawshank Redemption
1: there you go <laughs> <laughs> then we got Dunkirk coming out new Chris Nolan
0: what's that Well one
1: that's like about, um, I don't even really know what it's about. I think it's about like it's evacuation that took place in a, a, like a city in England or France. I'm like trying not to research it because I just want to see the movie. Okay. But uh, yeah, Chris Nolan, Interstellar, yeah. um, Inception, Batman. It's going to look you know? amazing,
0: I'm sure.
1: Yeah, it's going to be sick. Uh, and it's being broadcast, or, or it was shot in 70mm, I think. Oh. So we might be able to see it in 70mm. which is sick. Uh, what else we got? Fast and the Furious 8.
0: Dude. You know, everyone shits on that franchise, and I always go into it saying, like, it's a fun action movie that, you know, being a product of the 80s, like, that was prevalent back then, in the early 90s, and I love the fact that they are so unapologetic in how they, <laughs> it's tits and ass, and fast cars, and explosions, and then when you're done, you're like, Dude. none of that makes any fucking sense, but you're like, I had fun. It's amazing. <laughs>
1: yeah, it's great. Anybody, anybody who doesn't think those movies are awesome takes themselves a little too seriously, I think. They're fucking amazing. Yeah come on, The Rock is just gonna fucking fight (laughs) Jason Statham, and then, like, maybe we'll get, like, a CGI, Paul Walker, Michelle Rodriguez is gonna punch somebody, it's gonna be sick.
0: (laughs) John Wick 2, I haven't seen that, but I was really stoked on that.
1: I saw it last night, it was sick.
0: Yeah, I've heard nothing but great things about it. And then, uh, yeah, Predator, or, I'm sorry, Alien movie's coming out, although a lot of people are shitting over Danny McBride being in it, but... What?! Yeah, everyone. Danny
1: McBride is fucking awesome.
0: I know everyone's like, Danny McBride's gonna ruin that movie because he can't be serious. And I was like, Do we know he can't? No. Danny
1: McBride is co-directing
0: a I Halloween know. reboot. Yeah, I know. I heard. And everyone's shit. All everyone's insane. been shitting all, all over that already.
1: No way. Yeah, and David Gordon Green too is also awesome.
0: Yeah. So.
1: Yeah, it should be it should be a good year. Plus, you got yesterday it was everything yes. Yesterday was <laughs> everything. Coming See, out I don't soon? feel so
0: bad for fucking it up now. Yeah. Yeah, man. actually it's been funny because I, as I was thinking about it I was like oh yeah just think of the email and I was like no that was just YWE and that's not what it's called <laughs> 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 so uh, I want to thank you for your time and for doing this and uh, for yeah, letting me you, get an advanced screening of the movie I thoroughly enjoyed it and I can't wait to uh, throw some money to whoever's way whether it gets to you or the band or whatever uh, as you can maybe see behind me I have a yeah, laser yep. signals poster from way back in the day yeah um, so, yeah, I uh, thoroughly enjoyed this, and thank you for your time, and uh, hopefully we can get you back on and we can discuss some other shit, maybe some of these movies. Maybe we can do a year-end rap on some of these movies.
1: Anytime you need me on, man, hit me up. I'm always down.
0: Sure, uh, and I'll let you get back to your day. Enjoy the rest of your night. All right, appreciate you having me, John. Take it easy, bro. You as well. Bye. So that was my chat with Matthew Mixon, formerly of the band 7 Angels 7 Plagues. Um, a lot of information about the upcoming documentary, Yesterday Was Everything, the Misery Signals documentary about the 10-year anniversary tour of the of Malice and the Magnum Heart lineup uh, and subsequent tour. We also discussed a couple of uh, instances of him being on a couple other podcasts, uh, even though we already discussed those. Those, once again, were Edge Land, uh, episode 131. And uh, 100 Words or Less, uh, episode 230. So if you want going to go back and give those podcasts a listen and, and kind of hear some of the other things that they discussed on those, uh, feel free. Uh, they really kind of were informative for me to kind of have a guideline of what I wanted to talk about and, and not necessarily step on the toes of those guys over there and what they've done uh, and what they did with Matt. All that being said, uh, socials, I, I have them. I've been really fucking shitty about actually using them to to plug so i'm going to try to get in the habit of doing that because obviously that will alert those who listen that there are socials maybe that they can keep up with what i'm doing or some upcoming guests or other episodes that have uh already passed um so facebook uh facebook.com john's untitled podcast all one word and that's j-o-n not j-o-h-n i'm not biblical uh twitter is at john's untitled pod and instagram Johnson title podcast. Um, the Instagram, it's you're gonna see a lot more of my uh, personal life. So it's just basically me going to shows, eating pizza, and buying records. Um, so if you're into that kind of thing, um, then you will definitely enjoy my feed on Instagram. When we have a guest on who is or wasn't a band, uh, I like to play a song by by said band. Um, so instead of playing Seven Angels Seven Plagues, I'm actually gonna play a probably lesser known band that Matt is in. And it features Andy from Fallout Boy on drums, uh Stu and Ryan on guitar from Misery Signals and Kyle from Misery Signals playing bass. Um so it kind of is a good representation of uh the seven angels, seven plagues. Uh, band members and the misery signals and, and kind of just really ties everything into the, you know this this documentary and this episode and a lot of things we discussed again the band's called burning empires and the song is called accomplice i don't really know that you can find any physical copies of this on cd i have a a copy of it on vinyl Your best bet is probably just go on to itunes or youtube or wherever you go listen to music nowadays uh, type in burning empires and see what you can find So if you like this, search it out. That's going to be it for this week.